We turn this evening to Ephesians 5, where we begin reading at verse 22. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might cleanse and sanctify it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies." He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I call your attention this evening to verses 22 through 24 and the calling of the wives, and it's my intention with another baptism coming up before too long to call attention to the calling of the husbands at that time. Verses 22 through 24 of Ephesians 5, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. I didn't read the preceding verses, but you might notice from verse 21 in particular that this section begins the treatment of relationships amongst Christians. And the chapter head of this section might be called walking together in humble submission to God. The calling that comes to all of us. It sets forth the way that we show thankfulness to the God of our salvation in all things, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. We express our thanks to God for his work in our salvation by walking in proper relationships one to another. 
And for the rule of gratitude, God spells out his way for us. He begins with the most intimate relationship of all, holy marriage. No more intimate relationship is there than marriage. And because of its intimacy and and all the problems and tensions that can arise when when two sinful persons live in such close relationship to each other, the Lord mercifully gives us careful instruction as to how to live within that relationship. And even though there are those in the congregation who are not married, or those whose relationship of marriage has been grievously ended by the death of a spouse, even those who have been forsaken by a spouse, yet all come under this careful instruction because it's the calling of every one of us to assist each other on the way to heaven. The whole church must know what God requires in all the relationships of life. But the apostle in marriage begins with the calling of the wife. And there's a reason for that. There's a purpose. In the relationship of marriage, the calling of submission belongs, first of all, to the wife. He has introduced in verse 21 the general principle of submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. But if that's the general principle in all of life, how much more should wives submit to their own husbands in the holy relationship of marriage which God has given for the woman and for her husband. That was the very creation of the woman and the very institution of marriage. As the apostle goes on, he will show that the man also must submit to God showing that submission by living as a faithful head to his wife and as one who loves his wife, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But when it comes to the question of submission in the relationship of marriage, submission to her husband is the calling of the wife. So when the apostle goes on to develop this concept of submission with respect to parent-child relationships, he's going to focus on the child first. And when he talks about the servant-master relationship, again focusing on the concept of submission, he's going to address first those who are sub to be subject to their masters, the servants. That's his approach. Now implied in all this is the fact that the apostle has observed a problem in this regard. He has observed that this calling that we have been given is contrary to our sinful natures. And that moreover, even though redeemed in Christ, we still have those sinful natures to struggle with in obedience to our Father Redeemer. Just because we are Christians doesn't mean that 
that everything we think and do is now automatically right. Our relationships, and even especially that most intimate relationship of marriage, is grievously affected by sin. And so we have to hear the call of the gospel, first of all. Christ addresses wives with these words. Powerfully and efficaciously, he calls his redeemed women with the words, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And he gives the reason, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So consider with me this evening the Christian wives' submission. We notice the calling, the reason, and the motivation. Christian wife is called by God to submit to her husband even as unto the Lord, and that in all things. That's astounding, isn't it? What does that mean? The apostles' approach here, you well understand, the instruction of the Holy Spirit here is entirely contrary to the view of marriage that's common in the world. We're immediately pointed here to the principle, the underlying principle of submission in the fear of God. The world has no fear of God. So the world's view of marriage is entirely corrupted. Fundamentally corrupted. We have to understand that. A relationship not redeemed by Christ is a relationship that remains under the corruption of sin. The prevalent idea today is that marriage is an agreement between a man and a woman in which they're going to do certain things together and for each other, but they're going to each continue as individuals seeking their own individual goals while attempting to enjoy some form of togetherness. But instead of a common submission to the Lord, each stands for his or her own rights. And today that faulty perception has been aggravated by and corrupted even more by the modern notions of equality between men and women that that have risen from the feminist movement. The modern view of women is, uh, the woman, is that she's equal to the man in every respect. And that there should be no distinction at all. Her calling to be a keeper at home, devoted to her family, to her husband, has been soundly rejected, even in the church. 
She's encouraged to have her own career, to hold her own bank accounts, make her own decisions, even serve in the military alongside the men, if that's her desire, and take roles of leadership in the government and even in the church. The idea of submission makes the modern woman gag. She will not have it. If anything, it's the man who must be subject to her. So there's an underlying bitterness and antagonism between the woman and the man, between the wife and her husband, except insofar as they can agree on what each of them shall do in their marriage. But the result of family life is that the perfect order established by God in creation for the good of the family is lost. And it's not only marriage that suffers, it's especially the children that suffer. The children look for stability and unity that they expect from father and mother and instead are brought into confusion when they see competition and conflict and strife from parents not living in a right relationship together. And as we see in the world all around us and reaching broadly into the church, the consequence is not only a breakdown of the God-ordained institution of marriage, but an overwhelming rate of the evil of divorce and remarriage. But the Spirit's direction to Christian wives concerning their proper relationship to their husbands is even contrary to their own natures. To our own nature. It's the relationship of marriage, you understand, where the first human authority was revealed. The inspired apostle expounds upon that in other passages as well, including 1 Corinthians 11, where he writes that the head of the woman is the man, and that as a creation ordinance of God. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman is of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Now, he also speaks of the man's dependence upon the woman, and therefore the importance of the woman for the man, and we're, we'll have opportunity to consider that, the Lord willing, but in marriage established by God already in creation with Adam and Eve, you have the first human relationship in which there's the exercise of authority. And the authority is that of the man over the woman. Now think of this. In marriage you have two persons. Each has his or her own will. And yet one must be subject to the other. How is that? How shall this be? How shall two be distinct, yet one? 
How shall one exercise authority over the other and yet both be free? How shall the wife be subordinate and yet exercise spontaneity of expression? And those difficulties are compounded by the fact that before marriage, the woman was entirely independent from the one who now is her head. So the woman in marriage must relinquish that independence with respect to this particular man she's marrying and voluntarily assume the obligation of submission for which she exchanges her own freedom, if you will. Is that not contrary to our natures? You women, is that not contrary to your nature? And still more, she appears as her husband's equal in many respects. In fact, when it comes to be being participants in the blessings of salvation, she is his equal. That is certainly the meaning of Galatians 3, verse 28, where we are told that in Jesus Christ there is neither male nor female. In the economy of salvation, all are equal. Equal participants of the wonder of regeneration faith, and so on. But even when the woman and the man stand before the minister and before the witnesses to their marriage ceremony and they they say their vows, even there she appears as the equal of him who will be her husband. Each says their vow. Each enters into that holy state She signs the marriage certificate as well as her husband. And in so doing, she makes herself subject, being called by God into submission to her husband, and that in all things. I say, isn't that contrary to her nature? Nevertheless, her calling is to submit herself unto her husband as unto the Lord. God has given you wives that calling. You may not overlook that. We who claim to be Christians do not say, what do I think about the marriage relationship? What do I think about the role of husband, the role of the wife? The question for us is, what does God say? What does the Bible say? God has given you this calling. And he's done so for your sakes as well as for the sake of your husband and your family. And he's done that, that in this way... You might glorify your Redeemer. Christianity, you see, touches your whole life while in this world. Christianity embraces marriage in its entirety. 
And there's nothing more wonderful than to see the power of Christ lay hold of our marriages so that we see what a beautiful and glorious relationship it is. It's a relationship in which all are governed by a higher authority, that of Christ, our head, that of God himself. And that subjection to God comes to expression by the wife in her subjection to her husband. What is that submission? It's not mere passiveness. It's not a robotic response to to what you are told. It's a misinterpretation of the text to say that the wife should never give her opinion to her husband. It's a misinterpretation of the text to say even that she may not try to persuade her husband to do different from what her husband announces as his intention. But submission means that the wife must not be guilty of independent action. She must not usurp the headship of her husband. That's the analogy of the body that the text uses. The body must not act independently from the head. You realize that if there are involuntary movements in the body, movements not dictated by the head, we recognize something's radically wrong. Medically, that would be referred to as as convulsions, unwilling, involuntary, irrational movements of the body. And when that happens in the home, you have chaos. Still more, the wife must not refuse to act in what her husband determines, again, unless it's contrary to the word of God. If my head tells my arm to raise, but it does not, something's wrong. Might be something as minor as the arm going asleep, or it might be more serious. But the body responds to the head. So that positively, the picture is one of coordinated action, but With the leadership in the head, there's no inferiority involved here. The wife simply has her own peculiar position, one of honor and glory, reflecting a particular aspect of God's perfect work. That submission is seen by its characteristics. In the first place, that submission is a voluntary act of the will. The word means quite literally to place one's self under. And for that reason, the translation submission is to be preferred rather than subjection. I say that only because the term subjection can convey the idea of being forced or compelled by outward pressure. But submission is a term that expresses freeness of choice 
a voluntary act of the will. And furthermore, it's the act as a God-fearing wife, it's the work of Christ in her. The submission, therefore, is from the heart. And so the Apostle Peter speaks in the third chapter of his first epistle of the necessity of the wife being adorned with the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even that of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Let's understand that the wife lives in submission to her husband does not mean that she is his forced slave. Doesn't mean that she's inferior to him in any way. That becomes very clear when you search the scriptures concerning the woman's place and function as a woman and and her God-given relationship to the man. What this means is that the woman is the willing complement to the man. You wives are given by God a calling to assist your husband that he might properly serve as God's representative in the world. You're to be his homemaker, the homemaker, the the helper of your husband, his comforter, the one to whom he can speak and and look to for comfort and encouragement, the one upon whom he can depend for assistance in the right function of the home, so that together you and your children might live to the glory of God and his Christ. In addition, this submission of the wife to her husband is rooted in love. Make no mistake, love is involved in the woman's calling toward her husband. And love is a spiritual virtue, nothing less. It's not a warm feeling merely. Love is the work of God's grace in our lives, the fruit of the life of Christ in us, nothing less. And And it's only that love that will prove the genuineness of your submission as a wife. Do you love God? That's the question. Do you love him who created you? And who has given you your place who has redeemed you in Christ Jesus by his boundless and free grace when you deserved only condemnation? Do you love him before whom you worship now? Only then will you also love your husband and live in submission to him. The third characteristic of godly submission is that it is complete. That's an astounding thing when you think about it. But that's verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
Now, every woman will immediately take note of this inescapably powerful statement. Everything. Does it really mean that? Now, when such a sweeping statement is made in the Bible, we are always required to interpret it in the light of Scripture's own teachings. So that we may say that this submission is the same as that required of all Christians when they stand before the state, as we are told in Romans 13. Does it mean that the wife must do absolutely everything her husband tells her to do in all circumstances and conditions? The answer to that is clearly no. Husbands sin. Husbands sin grievously sometimes. And a faithful wife will call her husband to repentance. She will warn him of his error, refusing to join him in it. Scripture never puts us in the position of sinning. doesn't require us ever to sin against God. That everything, therefore, is certainly qualified by Scripture itself. In addition, the wife is not to submit to her husband to the extent that it hinders her own relationship to Christ. She must do everything short of that, but not that. Because no earthly relationship is as important as that relationship to Christ. But the point that's emphasized in the text is that the wife must go to the limit, to the extreme, in submitting herself to her husband for Christ's sake. And let me just say to our young women who are not yet married, no woman, no matter how gifted she might be, has a right to contemplate marrying a man except She is willing to live this way. If she enters marriage with any other idea, she sins having rejected the will of God. If the goal is to live as an individual in the marriage bond, to do your own thing, to have your own career, You're tearing out the foundations of your marriage before it's even established. I say that's true no matter how gifted you might be. We all realize that there are women, many women, to whom God has given amazing gifts. There are women far more gifted intellectually than their husbands. More gifted spiritually than their husbands. Who are even more gifted in every respect. 
And if their husbands are wise, they're going to recognize those gifts that God has given them in their wife and receive them to their own welfare and that of their families. But then it will be a matter of the husband being supplemented by the wife and not usurped. And the godly wife must demonstrate that submission also before her children so that they also look to the father as the head of the home. The reason that the Christian wife is to live in submission to her husband is found as twofold in verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Now I would have you see, we stand here before an astounding truth. One would say that in this section of the epistle, we have the practical teachings of the Apostle Paul. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have his practical teachings. And that's true. But what you must not overlook is the fact that in dealing with this most practical matter of telling husbands and wives how to behave toward each other, the apostle introduces the most glorious doctrine of the nature of the church and its relationship to Christ. And that's something that's found consistently in Scripture. Whenever you're standing before a straightforward, simple presentation of the practical calling of the Christian life, you're going to find that calling is firmly established upon doctrine. Doctrine and practice are so closely related, they cannot be separated. And that means that anyone who says, I'm interested only in the practical, is really denying the essence of biblical truth. And whosoever will reject the practical outworking of the Christian life doesn't have a grasp of true doctrine. But more particularly, with respect to the subject before us, if we are not clear in our minds about the relationship between Christ and the church and the relationship of the church to Christ, we can't understand marriage properly. It's only in the light of that doctrine that we will understand the doctrine of marriage. Christ is the head of the church. It is that glorious relationship, as we see in this section of Scripture, that is the ideal of which marriage is the picture. The church has not only been given to Christ by his Father, but he has taken the church as his bride and has given to it himself to see that she is sanctified and fit to be his bride. He gave himself for her, being her savior. But he's also her head, guiding her, comforting her, keeping her from danger, preserving her, 
constantly loving her. And as her head, he functions in such a way that his church recognizes her calling to submit to him. She knows that submission is her glory and her blessing. It's the way in which she most beautifully and beneficially enjoys the relationship with her bridegroom. And the emphasis in this doctrine is upon the intimate relationship, the organic living union that exists between husband and wife. Now the text states that the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church. Again, that's an amazing truth. That man has been called as the head of his wife by the very creation ordinance of God. Paul brings us here all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now, it isn't my purpose to develop that tonight. That'll wait till the next sermon, God willing. But it's certainly important to give careful consideration to this truth. But man was put in a position of headship, of leadership and lordship and authority and power. He makes the decisions. He takes the lead. That's his place according to God's ordinance in creation. God made the woman to be the complement to the man, to her husband. Man is the head. But as you know, the fall had tragic effects upon that relationship. Didn't remove the husband's role and calling, but man became corrupted. When the apostle writes, therefore, that Man is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. He's speaking of the great truth that Christ has redeemed men also in their relationships. Our redemption in Christ is powerful to affect our relationships. By the spirit of his grace, God has restored man to his proper function as head over his wife so that man may now serve in his role as head as the mirror image of Christ in his relationship to the church. And because man is the head, also by virtue of creation, but is also able as a Christian to function as a head, and because there necessarily can only be one head, the wife is called to live in submission to her husband. There's one life that they enjoy together, the life of one flesh, one body, to use the figure of the text, and in that life the body is dependent upon and subject to the head. The motivation, however, of the Christian wife's submission is found in her relationship to Christ. Christ her Lord. 
Christ is the Savior of the body, as we read in the last part of verse 23. You see, beloved, this is a significant part of this text. The fact is, as you well know it, the sins of the husband gives the wife every reason that is a stimulus to sin against God and to refuse to live in submission to her husband. That's why when you men go home this evening, you need to sit down and read this passage again and look at it with a view to your own calling. When we sin against our wives, and we fail to exercise our proper spiritual headship, we give impetus to our wives to sin against God. We cause them to stumble. And to refuse submission. Not right. And you wives must not do that when your husband does sin. But men, we have to understand the seriousness of not treating our wives correctly, biblically. And you wives, this is also why you have to understand the proper motive of living in submission to your husband. That motive is not because your husband has been so faithful in properly exercising his calling and therefore you will respond this way. Your motive mustn't be an attempt to manipulate your husband either. Your motive is found in your own relationship to Christ, your Lord, in thankfulness to the God of your salvation. You submit to your husband. Because the Christian wife recognizes Christ as her Savior, she submits to her husband as unto the Lord. What does that mean? Again, it doesn't mean that you wives submit to your husbands in the same way that you submit to your Lord. That would be going too far. There is one Lord. And our relationship to him is one of complete, entire, and absolute submission. But what this means is that you submit to your husbands because... That's an expression of your submission to the Lord. This is what the Lord requires of you and you expressing gratitude to the God of your salvation strive to do exactly this. You're not doing it only for your husband. That's not where the motive lies. You're doing it for the Lord. You're living in submission because 
This is well-pleasing in God's sight. It's part of your being a Christian. The Apostle sets forth, you see, how elevated above the ways of the world is that marriage redeemed by Christ. The Christian woman who recognizes her place in the Lord lives to please her husband, to help him, to be the glory of his home. She won't quarrel with the vow she made in marriage when she promised before God and many witnesses to cherish and obey her husband. She marries to produce this one flesh, this coordinated action, this completeness that's demonstrated to the world. Because she stands as part of this glorious picture of the relationship of Christ to the church. How do you stand as a wife before this tremendous calling? Can you, in your present attitude toward your husband, go into the presence of the Lord in spite of your sinfulness and weakness, the Lord who came from heaven to save you, went to the cross to establish you as a member of his bride? Do you strive to live to his glory in your relationship to your husband? Then blessed are you. Yours is a tremendous calling. And yours is a great blessing. But if you feel condemned before the Lord because of your attitude before, before your husband, your attitude toward your husband, and because of your sinful rejection of God's clear instruction, take your sins to the cross. And go make things right with your husband. Make it right so that you stand before your husband now as a woman redeemed and sanctified with a quiet conscience and a meek and quiet spirit. For that is pleasing in the sight of God, the glorious fruit of the wonder work of His grace. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy gift of marriage to reflect the mystery, the glorious relationship, the beautiful relationship between Christ and the church. And Father, as we reflect upon our marriages, so quickly, affected by sin, we confess our sins before Thee, and we pray that Thou wilt sanctify us in our marriages, that we 
glorify thy name and rejoice together in the place thou hast given us, in the midst of thy church, for Jesus' sake. Amen.